This is Joshua Bell with the Kills on the Clock with our Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue on the Gospel of 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, so it's been a couple weeks since we've been together, so I'm going to just kind of give us a little bit of a, a rundown. Second uh, Peter is um, different than First Peter, obviously, but um, it refers to First Peter, which is kind of interesting. It uh, it does not have a specific audience. It's still written in a high form of Greek. There is more of a discussion about Jesus's return. Um, and uh, it's still very highly Christological. And for those of you that have, are just uh, listening for the first time, when you say Christological, it means the focus is purely on Christ, not the Trinity. So we're not going to talk about uh, God, Father, as Creator. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Jesus and Jesus's role only. Um, so it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a hard thing. So what happens is when the Christological conversation happens, uh, we skip conversations about the Holy Spirit. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit makes its way into the uh, into the conversation. And so uh, it's it's an interesting thing. So First Peter chapter, I mean Second Peter chapter one, starts talking about specifically uh, what it means to be a Christian. Uh, our, our roles in this. Um, this person is supposed to be an eyewitness of Christ's um, glory um, and, and kind of giving a conversation about how does Jesus become king. Again, reminding ourselves that this is written in the first century. The goal is, is that Jesus will then take over this. The Roman Empire will supersede, for lack of a better phrase, Phrase the uh, Roman Empire and the new empire will be created where Jesus is king. And so, with that idea, um, we have to be careful of those that teach in the name of Christ. There was an interesting thing that takes place in the first century that we see all over the place. There's a uh, a writer by the name of Apollonius who, who writes... Um, about the same time as Paul, um, a Roman guy, talks about Jesus's power and things of that nature, but not, more as a prophet, not as uh, this, not as um, Jesus as being Messiah or anything else like this. So it's a Roman writing, right? And in this in this writing, um, talks about this other guy. I can't remember his name right off the top of my head that has power, and, and, and so he starts to describe this power. He has the power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out those that are having issues mentally or things of that nature, um, and prophesy the future. And there was a great following of this person that Apollonius is writing about. Uh, this happened a lot in the first century. So when Jesus dies... You start to see this influx of people mirroring his behavior. How does this work? What does this look like? Who is this Jesus guy? Um, and so then you'll have some guy that pops up and says, oh, well, I'm like Jesus. Um, or you'll have, uh, we have historical documentation of people that would say, 
uh, not only like Dr. Jesus, but I, I am Jesus. And, and, and uh, so there's that. Then there's the second part of this. There's the, the false teaching thing. So if the temple of Jerusalem is destroyed, it hasn't happened yet, but just say that in our heads. We know that it's leading up to this in Second Peter. You've got Pharisees and priests that are terrified of what Jesus is saying. And, and I think rightly so. I don't really have a problem with protecting your flock, right? Jesus says things that go against the culture of the time. That says the way that we're doing it is wrong. If I'm a Pharisee or I'm a priest of a specific group of people, and this guy has said that, I'm going to take high offense to that. And I'm, and I'm going to make sure that everywhere I go, everybody knows, uh -uh, that guy's a false teacher. This is a big deal. Um, so you, you know that there were Pharisees that did that. Uh, you get it from Paul's letters, specifically Galatians, specifically Philippians, where somebody has come into the fold and told them that they're doing it wrong. And if they want to be a follower of Jesus, the prophet, right? You have to follow Jewish dietary or specifically in Paul's letters. Or you have to follow bits and pieces of Torah. Um, again, specifically in Paul's letters. It's interesting here in Second Peter, the focus in on uh, uh, false prophets is talking about the return. And he even likens it to Sodom and Gomorrah, like that there's these false prophets in the midst of that conversation. So I'm making a big deal, a mountain out of a molehill on purpose because false prophets had two meanings in the first century. Those that were pretending to be like Christ uh, or Christ-like. And you have these prophets or priests and Pharisees that were telling you, hey, you guys got to be careful. But this Jesus guy has said is going to destroy our faith. Um, which my argument has been and will continue to be, I think that what Jesus teaches enhances the Jewish faith and practice, but it makes it different uh, in action. Like what we're going to do differently now is. So it couldn't be the way that it used to be. It's now the new way, which is what Christ introduces. So I'm making a big deal out of this. Um, Peter specifically is always put in that category as a protector of the faith. Uh, it's it's why Catholicism uh, initially ends up building the church around him, you know, because it says so in, in the Gospels. Upon this rock I shall build this church. Okay? Peter becomes the foundation. So if we're writing a book in the name of the guy that the church is being built upon, He's going to tell you what, what's right and what's wrong. Does this make sense? Okay. And I know I'm making a big <clears throat> speech, but really for our purposes, I want us to be careful every time that we read this, that this is not necessarily specifically designed to say, in the future, this is what the apocalypse is going to look like. It's more like, in the future, we have to be prepared for these things. And one of them happens to be false teeth prophets. This Peter uh, in chapter two 
it doesn't even hold back and says, and their punishment will be like dot dot dot. Which is why it's really kind of nice that they did it. So um oh yeah, yeah. Just before I finish, um the commentary wants me to remember and remind you that there are three specific biblical examples uh that, that God confirmed that God will rescue the just and punish the offenders. The, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, but the flood story, uh, and yeah, really just kind of focusing in on stuff that is not necessarily biblically canon. <laughs> you remember me telling you all the time that there's there's one mention of the fallen angels that's in the book of Jude in our current canon, but there's the book First Enoch that talks about the battle of heaven and hell. Not in our canon, but it was for thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, somebody just, just said, oh, no, no, that's just too mystical. Literally, that's what it says in the notes. Oh, we can't put First Enoch in it because it's too mystical. It talks about angels and demons and this Lucifer guy that falls out of heaven. Who's the right hand of God and was the most beautiful angel of all time. That's literally the language that they use. He was literally referred to as the morning star. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, so, so Lucifer gets cast out of heaven. Why? Because God gives him just a dash of free will. And what does he do? He decides to overthrow heaven. Where do we get that story? The book of First Enoch. We all know it. We all have heard the story in some way or another. Um, but Second Peter talks about it. So this person knew and has had conversation with this story. It's kind of cool. Okay. Any questions, comments before we read? Sweet. Second Peter chapter two. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive opinions. They will even deny the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Even so, many will follow their licentious ways, and because of these teachers, the way of truth will be maligned. What's mine has this little note? What's teachers? What's the? It's only false teachers. Yes. What is um, pseudo didache, didas, didaskoi. Pseudo false and Didache is, is teach. Each, yeah. That's why my whole thing has a little note here on it. So um, the huh. word for false prophets is pseudo prophetai, which is obviously false prophets. Right. Pseudo prophetai. And they don't put heresies, they put what does yours say? Uh licentious ways. No, no, before that. Wait, mm -hmm. let me find it. Oh, right after false teachers who will secretly bring in the destructive opinions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mine says heresies, and the Greek word is heresies. Which would have been heresies. heresies. Yeah. Mine says heresies. Yeah. Well, it should it be. says heresies. Yeah. I would put this heresies there. It ought to be heresies. Yeah. Destructive opinions, whatever that means. Well, yeah. heresies producing destruction. Destructive heresies, not destructive opinions. Is that, is that where we get hearsay? Uh, ish. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So the, the there is word heresies, and, and that's, okay. that's it. And it's it. And this and this matters. 
especially if you're talking about the first century, because <coughs> anything that really gets the orthodoxy. So if you're if you, so it's not a it's not a piece of opinion. So when it says heresies here in Greek, it's saying it is completely it's wrong. wrong. <laughs> like it's you will be struck down from God. That's how bad it is. Okay. There's this interesting thing that takes place in this culture that if it's not orthodoxy, like this is the way we've always done it thing, it becomes a heresy. If you break away from orthodoxy, uh, you get shunned, you get kicked out of the community, God strikes you down, which is why uh, I'm glad Sally pointed that out. This, this, this is not a good translation for that. Um, opinions. Uh, doesn't doesn't speak enough to how it's how big a big deal it is. is yeah. yeah, and evil spoken is blasphemy. Yeah, and seeing that matters too. Is this blasphemy? That should be close. Face the tie. <laughs> which would, which is another one. You're, you're literally blasphemy. for them. Blasphemy meant that you were trying to play the role of God, like your voice was trying to speak above God's voice. Um, like as a culture, that's what they believe. So when we say, "Well, that's just blasphemy," for us, it's kind of a kind of a cliche. For them, if you said this is a blasphemy, you're literally saying to this person, "You're playing the role of God, and you're with your words, and you're wrong." So it's it's a it's a big thing. So this guy obviously is trying to sound like Peter, right? Like God, I mean, this is these are his things. Uh, let's keep going. Um, I like this. This is good. And in and in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's the word blaspheme, right? Deceptive words. And yeah. in their greed, yeah, they, they will. Well, blasphemy. Hmm. People spoken of blasphemy is for the truth. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Wow, what a weird translation they came up with here. Yes. Mine says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you and with stories they have made up. <laughs> False words. Interesting. Some of the holes. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I mean, we ended that to verse 3, and the Greek here is pretty simplistic, and all the translations have decided to make it more complicated. That's amazing. And this and this was done like by a panel of scholars. Like This is blowing me away. So, uh, let, look at verse three. Uh, and in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced against them long ago has not been idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Um, okay, so here's where it gets good. So, or if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into this should be Gethsemane, hell. No. Or is it I sent to Tartarus. Oh, nice. Tartarosis. Tartarosis. Yeah. So uh, this person obviously knows uh, Roman uh, mythology. Okay. So that's, that's why you got that. Tartarus comes, comes from. Okay. Uh, and it's also uh, kind of now. This is not a. So yeah. So tart Tartarosis is uh, is or Tartarus for us and committed them to chains. This is what we have. In the Hebrew Bible, um, and it's chains of gloom. Chains of gloom. Yeah, it's a gloom to be kept until the judgment. Nice. Oh, in the mine is the judgment. Oh, yeah, mine says that. I didn't stop. Yeah, gloom. a deepest gloom. darkness to be kept until the judgment. And if he did not spare the ancient world, even though he saved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood 
on a world of the ungodly. And if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge their flesh and depraved lust and who despise authority. Mm. Bold and willful, they are not afraid to slander the... Mine says glorious ones, but I don't like that. Should be angels. Mine's celestial. Mine says glorious ones. Mine says celestial beings. Mm -hmm. yeah, and down here in the little notes, it says or angels. Problem with that is, is doxos is not what we would use for angels. Not what we used to well, the, but, then, but the glorious ones, be, whereas angels, so greater in so might and power, to pronounce yeah, it reviving judgment. Greek, it says glories. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So learning this, yeah, it takes a little bit. It's it's got all the cool stuff, but evidently some weird translation. Yeah. Okay. Verse eleven, it should say whereas, angelos. Yes. Good. Though greater in might and power, do not bring against them in a slanderous judgment from the Lord. Uh, these people, however, are like irrational animals, mere creatures of instinct, born to be caught and killed. They slander what they do not understand, and when those creatures are destroyed, keeps putting on some weird, oh, and then in their destruction, okay. They will also be destroyed, suffering the penalty for doing wrong, they count it as pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their dissipation. That's not good. What's that word? Deceits. Deceits. Apotes. Yeah, that's that needs to be deceits. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. They have left the straight road, and have gone astray, following the road of Balaam, son of Besor, which is one of my favorite stories of all time in the Hebrew Bible, by the way, uh, who loved the wages of doing wrong, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. They, these are waterless springs and mist driven by storm. For them, the darkest, deepest darkness has been reserved. And they speak bombastic nonsense. Um, hmm. I mean, that's that's an English thing. It doesn't really matter. It's it's a cool thing, but it's the Greek probably says some words of vanity. Vanity. I, I don't know the the Greek. I didn't. This page just doesn't have anything on it since animals up there. It's okay. Uh, I, I think the Greek there, it, it shouldn't, I don't think it's bombastic. That's an English word. So. Um, it's words of vanity, so it's mata, you know, mata, whatever that is. Uh, much. I, I have to confess. And with, uh, oh, that doesn't really, it's just kind of cool. And then, of course, it brings up, and then what licentious desires of the flesh, they entice people who have just. Uh, escape from those who live in error. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
for people are slaves to whatever masters them. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled them and overpowered. The last state has become worse for them than the first, but for it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was passed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. The dog turns back to its own vomit, and the sow is washed only to wallow in the mud. <laughs> let's, let's just ask you how you really feel. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> uh, so, so this is obviously extremely graphic, right? <laughs> There's a lot thrown out here. Uh, the, the fallen angel story is found in First Enoch again. It, it, notice that there's a, a an, an assumption that you should know this, that they were cast into the deepest, darkest place of Tartarus. I think where it's listed in the Hebrew Bible, I think they used Tartarus also in the language. There was always this thing myth mythologically for them when we talked about what happens underneath the ground. They knew about lava, right? They knew that it was really hot. They they saw bits and pieces of Pompeii exploding off and on, and they, 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 they know volcanoes. So they, they, when you start start talking about Diane, did you have a question? No. Oh, I just, sorry. Sorry. It was like, ooh, yes. <laughs> uh, we're good. So they had a they had a a knowledge of these things. So I always find it fascinating when they talk about um, Tartarus. It, it goes across cultural borders. Like everybody talks about it. Like they, they know that there's a place underneath the earth that is just full of fire. Uh, you know, we, we end up getting languages like Hades, right? You know, you, you Tartarus and Hades, this place of high, uh, fire. Uh, the, the Jews never call it uh, hell until after uh, the first century. And then at that point, they would call it Gehenna, which is that fire pit. It's so hot. It's like got to be the blazes of Hades. So hot. It's, it's literally as hot as hell. Like that's the language that that came from. Um, so I think it's fascinating that this person, who is obviously brilliant, uh, ties that in. Then there's the Noah, a herald of righteousness, um, the alcoholic, you know, the herald of righteousness. Uh, Though he saved Noah uh, and seven others, who he doesn't deign to mention, right? Uh, we're supposed to know exactly, and uh, th and then by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the same conversation. So, I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a second. Most. I would say for the last 200 years until the middle of the 20th century, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was taught differently than it was prior. Notice that all three of these stories are about prophets. And you're like, how's that word? Who came in to Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot. Lot. But why did it ultimately get destroyed? These three. Oh, the three 
the three angels. And they're always referred to as prophets in the Hebrew world. Right? So they come in, and the, the culture was so bad that they could not be hospitable to the voice of God in the Jewish faith. And so what happens is in the Jewish faith, there there is none of this, oh, well, this is the, and I'm, and I'm just going to call it out because I'm just too old and tired anymore. I don't care. This is not a story about the homosexuality and the rape. It's against the story of you did not follow Torah. Here are literal vessels of God, and you tried to kill them. The people were so perverse that they would even take power over someone else in such a way that they defiled them in the name of whatever God it was that they worshipped. You see? So the prophets came to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were turned aside, which then turned Sodom and Gomorrah into a, a place that had to be wiped from the earth. Because here is the vessel of God there in their place, and the people were so bad, it just couldn't work. There's your, that's your prophet story. And here's your proof. Like, I've, I've, I've heard the Sodom and Gomorrah story taught wrong so long. And they're like, well, it says so in the Bible. Yeah, you're right. It does. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the story here is being talked about being the prophets. Here's three prophetic false teachings that took place that their punishment is awful. And one of those happens to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And he condemns them to extinction. And then he uses Lot, which still blows me away. He, he goes, because Lot, you know, ultimately, do we remember the story there? What happens to Lot? They escape. You know, his wife turns around and turns into a pillar of salt. They and they go and live in a cave. And, uh, and he becomes his, his daughter. Uh -huh. Scott's daughters get him. drunk, and then uh, we'll just say take advantage of his <laughs> drunken stupor and uh, get pregnant, and then they leave. So Lot, the 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 a righteous man, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the lawless. Uh, he lived among them day after day, for the tormented in his righteous soul was their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. They put him in the prophet's status. And then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. And which he did. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, he rescues Lot and his daughters and, and the wife. Ultimately, the wife could not even turn away. So it's it's a really cool story, but... Sorry, I, I, like I said, I had to get on a soapbox for a minute. This, this is, when, when people use the story about Sodom and Gomorrah and they automatically start going into the the, the hot topic mm -hmm. conversation, it, it's totally not true. Uh, Hebrew Bible would have focused in on the aspect of not following Torah. They, they tried to take power over the vessels of God in the place, and it had absolutely nothing to do with homosexuality. Um, that, that's very important for us in, in this recording. I don't care, but uh, in Second Peter, this is here's your Christian-based proof that they they didn't even believe that. So for some reason, for 200 years, closest to us, we've used that story as a defamation of 
people that happen to be homosexual, and that is not biblically accurate in in this kind of conversation. So there you go. There, I got off. I'm not, now I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> Any other questions about chapter two? I have a question about. Yes. Um, you were talking a minute ago about the volcanoes and that they knew about them. At one time, we were talking about Shoal, yeah, as being hell, where they would take every the garbage dump and it was always on fire and everything. Yeah. So, when did kind of they change from Shoal to? I mean, knowing that there was something underneath the earth. So, I guess is what I want to say. Uh, so let me let me help a little bit. Shoal was the place that our bodies went, but they never went below the earth if you followed Torah. Okay. So yeah, Shoal was not the same thing as yeah. Hades or Gehenna. Yeah. So Shoal, Shoal, Shoal for a Jewish person was never hell. It's more like the Catholics. Yeah, it's purgatory. Purgatory. So, so they knew that at that point in time that there was fire underneath what they right. were standing on. Exactly. And they knew that when you died, like we got to think real primitive, uh -huh. that when you died, you had to go back to the earth from whence you came. Okay. So that's why they buried their dead. And then when you died, remember, because your Ruach goes it's away, whether it goes back to God or it goes back into the universe, whatever, your body goes back to the earth and it just kind of wanders around aimlessly. That's part of the primitive understanding of their culture and so if your body's walking around aimlessly uh there's no purpose for it because it doesn't have the ruach so slowly over time um they were in, influenced by other cultures and the conversation happened from well what happens underneath sheol like what's underneath sheol well that's where the lava comes from right so then that's that's got to be that's where, I mean, none of our bodies were burned underneath. Uh, they're not, you know, because they dug them up before or whatever. Right. And none of the bodies were burned, but they're, uh, obviously, there was something underneath it because we know that there was lava. Where did that come from? So then, so being influenced by other cultures, you start to see a, a creation of uh, of Tartarus uh, because that was a, a, a multicultural term. Um and then Hades becomes more Greco-Roman. Um, Hades has different terms in different ways of Greco-Roman. But um, And then Gehenna becomes, uh, interestingly enough, a thing that's only from Jerusalem. So uh, because the, there's a valley of Gehenna right outside of Jerusalem. So that, I know that sounds like a long conversation, but... Interestingly enough, those that are reading this in the first or second century would have said, oh, yeah, that, that big fire pit in the Valley of Gehenna. It's as hot as 80s. Um, and then slowly over time, we start create again, being influenced by other cultures, we start to say, well, we don't talk about Ruach anymore because the Ruach is our soul. Um, it's what we eventually create. And then over time, um, Jesus... Jesus's writings start to be discussed and they're like, oh, what's this place of many rooms? Well, that's got to be something above. <laughs> so now we've got something below. There's something above. What do we do with Shoal? And so slowly over time, the culture created 
Gehenna as hell, uh, Sheol becoming purgatory, and heaven becomes that place of many rooms. Okay. Does that help? And the interesting part for that, Kim, is this person still working through that. So they haven't they haven't finalized that theology yet at all. We okay. have. We I mean we have multiple layers of theology of heaven and hell. And thank you so much, Dante Algieri, for making it even more complicated. <laughs> you know, was it 47, 47 layers of heaven and I don't know, a bajillion layers of hell. And uh which he ends up getting excommunicated for, and they ended up adopting. But, you know, they did that to Galileo and Copernicus, too. Um, so I, I say this, uh, so there's a lot of interesting things. The, the Balaam story, did you guys remember the story about Balaam? Yeah, Balaam in the ass? Donkey starts. Donkey won't go, and Balaam's beating with a stick. Oh, and no. the angel is telling him not to go. Balaam doesn't see the angel. The ass does. Right. And uh, doesn't Which I think is typical. This is that time we should have Ted here, but uh, it's a it's a it's a really fascinating story that the the Peter put in here. That this Peter, um, I, I loved it. I, I thought that was really cool. Um, not listening to the voice of God basically is the idea. Any other conversations, questions? Every time they said revile in verses 10, 11, and 12, mm -hmm. three times, it's blasphemy. Interesting. I thought you blasphemed God, but they're blaspheming other people. Humans. Wow. So I don't know why they did that. And that would make kind of sense why it got translated this way. Because mine has like slander, it has, you know, is slander is the word that they use in the And the people that did this called it revile, but the word, the Greek word is blasphemy. Interesting. I think that's weird. It is weird. And it's interesting for me as you point that out because that that part's specifically about indulging of the flesh yeah. with who despise authority um and yeah and then that's the angels part like even the angels though greater in might and power do not bring a it should be blas blasphemous judgment from the lord or the slanderous judgment from the lord they are like rational animals your creatures of instinct born to be caught and killed. They blaspheme what they do not understand. Um, this is this is kind of an important conversation. You know, if, if you think about that, the person here is saying, well, what do you think it's saying? I mean, I have an idea. If you're talking about people who are like irrational animals, mere creatures of instinct, what do you think that means? Non-Christian. Sure. Non-Torah. Definitely non-Torah. It's interesting. They talk about ignorant animals and then Balaam and the donkey. And right. The donkey right off the bat. Was, they said ignorant. The donkey wasn't. Yeah. Balaam becomes the ignorant one. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's it's a brilliant writing thing. This is a hard question. So definitely not the ones that are Christians, definitely not the ones following Torah. Are they the ones that are trying to find where they need to go, who okay. they need to believe in? Good. And so it, it, let's say, <clears throat> if we go with that, <clears throat> Peter is saying, if you listen to these false prophets, you are like an irrational animal. Might as well just be killed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And the path, the only path to follow is the path or the voice of God, who happens to be Christ. Um, and here's your proof. That's what Peter says. Like, let's look at Balaam. He's He's uh he should be he's a prophet he should know better but the the donkey himself knew better than he did. I mean that's that's pretty powerful. So those that choose to not listen to vo the voice of God will it does they don't even have to be punished they're basically like twigs that just get burned in the fire, or they're just like irrational animals that we have to think yeah. of. There's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. That's a sermon right there. I don't it'd be a fire and brimstone sermon, but I would I would that that section right there, probably for from verse nine through verse sixteen, that would be my that probably my uh fire and brimstone sermon. In a good way. Well, let's, uh, we're doing so well that I would like to go ahead and finish Second Peter. Okay. And, uh, notice how much writing is on this, oh, that's, chapter three. Which is interesting that you have so much on chapter three. It just means I got it and I looked them up and looked up the notes and words in the lexicon, and if they disagreed or had a different slant, I wrote it down. Nice. If it was the same in the lexicon, I just underlined it. Well, I think what's going to happen is uh, there's going to be a lot of translation problems. <laughs> That's what I'm figuring out here. Um, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. And then I'm trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment, I need to know that word commandment. Is that the Greek one? Entelace. I don't know entelace. Uh, that's the lexicon said the whole body of law. So entelace. The whole body of law. That's why I said because And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. So then that would be the entire, in the Hebrew world, the Tanakh. So they've taken, the Greek has taken the word Tanakh and replaced it with Entelais, which I think is the root word for intelligence. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you must understand this. 
that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their lusts and saying, uh, this is, or I think we're going to start having translation problems. Where is this promise of his coming? Forever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact by the word of God, heavens, by, that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world of, at the same time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, is this Logos? Um, or Logos? Word. Verse 7. Okay, good. The present, this is the word of God. That's why it matters. This is the voice of God speaking. Uh, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. And the Lord is not slow about his promise, as we think some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. And then there's the, this is the kind of the letter process that's different than Paul's, but it's interesting. It's more like the closing part of a prayer, in my opinion. Uh, oh, neat. I forgot this part. So, therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, which, by the way, would not have been something Peter would have said. He and Peter got in fights all the time. Speaking of this, as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable <laughs> twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There is the reading of Second Peter and its conclusion. The word for thief back in verse 10 is kleptes. Interesting. I really like the uh, the little. Oh, and by the way, Paul is so amazing. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I'd forgotten about that altogether. Like I, I forgot that, that there was this little 
You should read all Paul's letters. Even, yeah, and, and I know his letters are hard to understand. That's why I've written this, because mine's easier for you to understand. I don't think there's still yeah. a little, little dig in there, yeah. you know, on 16, verse 16, yeah. when he talks about some things that are hard to understand, like right, you say. Right. It's still has. Well, down in the bottom, it says he cites Paul's teaching with approval, but is concerned. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, bottom part down. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> it's okay, but <laughs> don't use it to support your view. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> oh yeah, and I forgot about this. It's so like uh, Tammy's and my commentary talks about uh, there was a there was a big problem uh, theologically about Jesus's baptism, um, and then I think it's his uh, and then and resurrection. Like, how does that work? <laughs> right? So if we if we tie baptism to resurrection, what is the theology to support that? You know, it's that idea of being the self. When we go underneath the water, we die. We, are, we die of self. And we come back up as Christ. I mean, we use that even in our language, right? Like that's, that's a whole thing for baptism. Paul really struggles with baptism. In all of his letters, he... Like there's one time he he talks about it and he's uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the story off the top of my head. I think it's in, nah, I'm not going to quote it because I'm going to do it wrong. But ba basically, and I went to their house and they wanted to be baptized, so I went ahead and baptized them, and then I moved on and I told them what they really needed to know. <laughs> so it's like he 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 has a he has a strong feeling for baptism, but not like we want to make it. John the Baptist did some amazing things in that culture historically. Um, when, I, when I was there, it, it was amazing to me how many different views of baptism were accepted, but the water had to come from the Jordan River. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to sprinkle someone, that's fine, but you got to use this water. Okay. Uh, there's a church right there that's uh, the Church of John the Baptist that they built um, that's been there, you know, of course, everything's been there since the time of Christ, but historically they say that John the Baptist had such a humongous, profound impact on this because Gentiles were able to participate in something that nobody else had done before. Mm -hmm. Um, if you were Jewish, you were the only ones that went into the ritual cleansing baths and there's a whole ritual and everybody saw it, you know, and it's like Jerusalem was this big marketplace with, that everybody saw still is. So the idea of baptism was really kind of a struggle. Um, so Paul himself has issues about, well, how does that work? Uh, I mean, he's a Pharisee. He's like, resurrection, uh, I don't know how to express that. So without going into a whole other rabbit trail, what Paul does is he focuses on, and, and it would be fun for you all to go back and look at some of his writing. His focus, in the, and if you look at it, is his conversation is the death on a cross. He'll he'll always use that in his conversation, and his death even on a cross, and he rose from the grave. But his death even on a cross, it's always it's it's all the way through his letters, um, and in the resurrection part, he he talks about. Um, but where does baptism fit in there? Because John the Baptist's influence. Uh, has gone all the way up to Ephesus, which is way up north from where Jordan River, where they think John the Baptist was. I mean, like way, way north. So even he's all the way up in Ephesus, and people are 
say, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Like, Paul's like, well, I mean, okay, sure, I, I guess, but I want to talk to you about his death. Like, his yeah. death mattered. You know, that is really fascinating. So, yeah, I think it's neat that Second Peter kind of points that out. Not really, but he, he does talk about it because of, they struggle with this. Hmm, interesting. Anything else? Did you say at one time that <clears throat> that the this Peter that wrote this was not one of the disciples? Or I, we don't know for I sure. I say for sure it was not. Okay. It was written in his name. And and is okay, so Peter himself could not write. Okay. So would he be giving he would be Somebody would be transcribing for him what he was saying then. Could be. Could be. So it makes me wonder about, you know, you were talking here about um, Paul and Peter. So are we, do we need to assume? I mean, how do, how do you know that, the, how do you know that Paul didn't like this Peter? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Because Peter himself says, <laughs> I rebuke Peter to his face. Like he he uh all all himself says he doesn't he doesn't do that. Um he, he did not get along with Peter. Um well Peter was but, initially against talking to the Gentiles anyway. Very much so. What is it, Andrew? Is he in the story with Andrew and they're sitting together? No, it's not Andrew's James. Oh my gosh, my brain. It's an axe. I know that much. I think it's chapter 15 is when they have the big big blow up. Yeah. Which is written in the second century. Like so if if the book of Acts is written later, that's the first time that we actually know the story of what happens with Peter and Paul. Everybody at that time somehow or knew one another knew that Peter and Paul struggled to get together. And for good reason. I mean, Peter is in Jerusalem. He was Jesus is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, right-hand man, whether anybody wants to argue it or not, you know, here's Peter, he's there, he's been all this stuff. Um, he He's looking at it as, as Jesus has changed the way that we as Jews are going to believe in God, or, or come to God, come to God, not believe in God. Uh, so Jesus has changed that. Um, Paul himself was a Pharisee that was hired to go hunt down anybody that believed in Jesus and kill them or bring them to the Sanhedrin so that they could be put on trial and maybe not get killed, but definitely get put in jail. And Peter knows that. And then Paul all of a sudden has this miraculous conversion story all by himself that nobody else sees except for him, right? Like you can see where Peter could get a little skeptical. So, so Paul says, yeah, but no, God has chosen me to be an apostle of Christ. You know, this this is my job now. Peter's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'd like to see that. I would like to have been there at that time. So uh, so there's a, a legitimate argument that the two of them have, um, which is why I can tell you for a fact that Peter did not write this second book. Okay. Because he would not have even taking the opportunity to say, oh, and there's Paul's writings, and it's, it's lovely. 
I you wouldn't say he was just concerned. You'd say he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point in time, it's not Peter that's I would say writing it's it. Peter. Okay. I'm just trying to be gentle. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. So yeah, you, you can be gentle all you want, but I'm just trying to figure out. <laughs> sometimes Peter. It's hard we, for some reason, it's very important to us about the authorship of who, who wrote these things. So would Peter have been alive when that was written? What somebody said that he said? Maybe. Not if it was written in the second century. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, live that long. Here's, here's, here's how we do this in school. <laughs> if it says second something, it was probably written after the destruction of the temple, or closely to it. So if we just assume that Peter was an old man, which we do, because they lived, and 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 fifty five, sixty five is an old man. Uh, and the life expectancy of a person was probably 65 in a good day. Like if they weren't fishermen, right? They didn't have dangerous occupations. Dangerous occupations. And were not slaves. It, for them to get to 65 was a miracle. So let's just say for the sake of that conversation, Jesus starts working with them around 30 C, right? And Paul's an old man then. He works with Jesus for three years. Jesus dies, resurrects, descends into heaven. And we say that Peter's in like his 40s or 50s at this point. Why do we think he's an old man? Because it says there's one part there someplace that says he has a gray beard. Or, oh. And there's another there's another text, again, non-canonical, that says he's kind of an older gentleman. Um, and, and part of it's also the way that they treat him. Because the way that they treat him gives him the ability to say, I'm an elder. And they would have only done that in specific ways to somebody that was an older person. So even if he's in his 40s, the, the, the opportunity for him to die, for him to live in the 60s, or to see the temple of Israel being destroyed, would have been highly unlikely. Because that would have made him 75, 80 years mm -hmm. old at that point. Um, so if we think that this was written... At the end of the first century, or the beginning of the second century, he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been alive. Okay. So anytime it says second, you want to take a good glimpse at it. But the other problem with this is, in the first and second century, it it was an honor to write in the name of somebody, and it was also an honor to write in their style. You know, it, it, it wasn't until the 19th century that people cared about copyright stuff and who, who offered these things. You know, and the William Shakespeare argument is the problem. You know, with, uh, did, who, who wrote William Shakespeare's plays? Well, we go back and we research it and find out he probably didn't write 85% of them. He probably just wrote them down on behalf of another playwright. Um, and they, they teach this in England today. Um, but we all know William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. We we all we all talk about that, but that one officially uh, in the English world is considered most likely the most plagiarized. <laughs> so you see you see why it's, it's such a weird thing for us. The biblical part, it's it's what he says there that also is very highly thought out. There's a, a an extreme amount of theology here. The Lord's coming, for example, the chapter mm -hmm. three section, uh, 
I mean, that is brilliant writing. Somebody had to have had some sort of education, probably not a fisherman's education. Uh, even if he had experienced all these things, it, it's like, so somehow he experienced all these miracles and now he's a wordsmith. <laughs> How did that happen? Like, that's that's pretty cool, but is that, is that normal? Well, no, because God's not even normal, so... God gave words to Jeremiah. So you see how this yeah. vicious circle becomes? So if it, the rule of thumb is if it's a second something, it was probably written by somebody else. If it's a first something, they probably had something to do with it, or it was written in their honor. Most of the letters written by Paul, he even says, I either write it in my own hand or my servant standing there writing it on my behalf. Notice that that person is not mentioned here. But if I remember right, it is written at the end of First Peter three bandits. I consider I have written this letter. Uh, so here, here's this person. You could make that case more for First Peter than you could for Second Peter. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's I was. That's a more gentle way of saying. Does that mean it's still Peter? Who knows? But it gives us a little bit more fun. Okay. Oh, and just so that you know, Sylvana worked with Sylvanus worked with Paul. He gets mentioned also. Oh, in Paul's writings. So if I was gonna make an academic argument and I was gonna write an exegesis paper on the historicity of the book of first and second Peter. I could definitely make the case for First Peter being written at the same time as Paul's letters, which would then make sense that Peter was sitting there dictating this to Sylvanus. And he would have been alive then. Would he possibly have been alive to write Second Peter? That's a harder thing to say. Okay. I won't pursue it any any further. <laughs> I just, I, just I, I don't I, I that the theology is really leans towards the temple of Jerusalem being destroyed. So, to me, the, the Peter wouldn't have been alive. It been really, it been really hard. So, if that helps, actually makes it worse. <laughs> Any other questions before I? The answer is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could, I could write an academic paper on the historicity of Second Peter, and I think I would come up short on proof. <laughs> With that being said, uh, we will end the study of uh, the second letter of Peter. <laughs>